get to see the boys back. I know that's sweet. I want all the kids to get to see them be back in their seats. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Well, <laughs> is that what I thought it was? <laughs> somebody, somebody says you are a balloon. <laughs> Your mind is cleaner than mine, right? <laughs> All right. Oh, Psalm 25. Let's read it again. This covenant relationship. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him, and He makes known His way. Ezekiel 16, chapter 16. Ezekiel 16, verse 1 through 3. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. Say, the Lord, great slaves in Jerusalem. Abominations and slaves, thus says the Lord God of Jerusalem. Your origins and your birth are of the line of Jacob. Your father is Hanan, your mother Adam, and from your birth, on the day you were born, your core was cast off. Nor were you wrought in your father's presence. You are rubbed with salt, you are dyed with ashes. The Lord returned to you again and to your name. There's a popular man who uh, has started to grow more and more respected in the gospel world in Cuba. And I don't know if he's a Christian. Some of you, I've never heard of him. Word of Cuba. I mean, word of word of Cuba. that is true. 
Kind of relationship that covenant establishes is established because of slaves and and in fact criteria, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant covenant. So this idea, this idea of faithlessness brings into view that the kind of relationship that covenant will establish is this exclusive love relationship with you. Not you God is not a cousin, God is not a second friend. There is this relationship that, that the covenant is going to call you to. This is the love of all love. This is the love, the climax of all love is going to be found in this covenant relationship with God. This will blow away every other relationship ever known to man. Even the marital relationship will be blown away. Now the marital relationship will be the type. As he says, you know, in Isaiah 54, God choose his love relationship with the Lord for your maker is your husband. So the marital relationship will then become the template, the model, the category that then that's how your relationship with Christ will will be fashioned under this template. Exclusive love relationship that God is calling us to. Very personal, as personal, as intimate as possible. It's the call of God. Not just that he's your savior, right? Not just that he's going to save you and, and bring you into some kind of community. No, it's, it's, yes, those are all true, but essentially, right, at the essence of our salvation is this call to this exclusive love relationship with God, which God had already ordained before the foundation of the world, that we would be one with Christ and that we would reign together with Christ as these lovers. Right, these lovers. And so, what a wonderful thing God has brought us into. Amen? And so, what happens is we lose sight of that. Some of us, for some of us, this might be a new concept. I'd be like, yeah, but I didn't really. 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 Yeah
thanksgiving. This idea that our lives are supposed to be consciously absorbed within thanksgiving to God. Not thanksgiving as a distant, momentary thing, but thanksgiving as a continuous stream of devotion to God. That our lives would be just be filled with thanksgiving at every single moment of our lives. That, they would, that thanksgiving would not be something that we do at night. That thanksgiving would not be something that we just do in the morning. That thanksgiving would not be just something we do on Sunday. But that, that thanksgiving would literally be the air that we breathe. That God wants us to be thankful. And that that's the only thing. That's the only, what, what else can you bring to God? Think about it. I, I told him, what, what, can, what are you going to bring to God? He doesn't need anything. But thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving is, is the proper response to a God who sustains us, who helps us, and gives us everything that we need. Thanksgiving is the essence of our response to God all the time. And I was thinking about that, and boy, I tell you, I said, Lord, I'm not praying for that all the time. Thanksgiving, if we're not grateful, we lose sight. And the moment you start complaining, it's because you, you, you stop being grateful. You stop being thankful. And so I believe what, what, what's the point of bringing to the people their origins? The whole point is that God is restoring the way he recovers an exclusive love factor with you is by restoring thanksgiving. Does that make sense? Like this, he, he has to re remind them, hey, your origin and your birth are of the land of the Canaanites. Your father was an Amorite and your mother was a Hittite. What is, what's the point of that? He's trying to get them into a position so they can recognize the goodness of God. So they can recognize, hey, I didn't come out here a champion, a winner. We were losers. From the very, we came out of the womb, losers. And so the Lord is just simply reminding you, you are a loser when you came out, fat L. <laughs> losers. But you think you are this now. <laughs> Let me remind you, you are a loser. You came from the land of Canaanite. Your father was an Amorite. Your mother was a Hittite. And so I think all the Lord is doing is, let me, let me just remind you. Because the God will restore thanksgiving. I, you have forgotten what I've done for you. Right? So I believe that God wants to restore in us thanksgiving. And I believe if we can be grateful, if we can, if we can really attack ungratefulness, like really consciously, ungratefulness is a wicked that's what I began to see. To be ungrateful is the root, I believe, of all wickedness. It's when we start to drift. It's when we start to look at other things. When we stop thinking of the goodness of the Lord, when we stop thinking of how kindly, and we just get tired of thinking of it. Well, I've thought about that all my life. You know, It's time to think about new things. No. Don't think about new things. Keep your mind on the goodness of the Lord to your life. Don't let the things of this world rob you of the tremendous mercy that God has had for you. It's like a woman or a man who's drowning in the ocean. Someone comes in, dives, and saves them, right? 
And in that, those first couple, first hours, they're so grateful. They're weeping and they're screaming. Thank you so much. You're going to be out. Thank you so much. And I can't believe you did this. Thank you. And then 10 years later, sees the man. Hello. What's your name? Brian. Yeah, that's me. Right? Something happened in between that time. They lost, they lost that moment. They just stopped, right? We lose that moment that when Jesus saves us, we, we lose it. It happens to all of us. Happens to all of us. We lose connection with what Christ has brought. Now, God, by his word, in Ezekiel, he brings, he brings Israel back. He tells them, your origin, your birth are the land of the Canaanites, your father was an Amorite, and your mother a Hittite. Secondly, the Lord reminds his people not just of their heritage. Their heritage is rotten to the core. Rotten to the core. They come from a bad tree, an Amorite tree, a Hittite. Rotten to the core. They just have trees with, with all kinds of worms and, and, and maggots just working through the, through the tree. Bad tree. But it's not just that they come from a bad tree. He tells them your core. That little, that little thing. And, and as for your birth, on the day you were born, your core was not pure. Right? That's not pure. That's a big deal. Huh? Big deal. Very big deal. Spiritually speaking. Very big deal. Not only do you come from a bad tree, but you are spiritually and organically corruptible too. So all those maggots in your core. <laughs> All those mag- all that death, your core isn't cut. You still are attached, organically, spiritually, to all that your heritage is defined by, right? And that's the case with us. When we came into this world, guess what? Your core, my core, was not cut. Uh, we still remain connected to Adam. We still remain all of the death of idols, all of the anger, the bitterness, the loneliness, all that, all those feelings that you have, right? All the feelings that we feel, ah, we hate this and all that. That comes from Adam, by the way. Doesn't you don't you didn't invent that? You didn't invent anger. You didn't invent selfishness. You're just inherited selfishness from Adam. Bitterness. You didn't create bitterness like I got this new feeling, guys. It's called bitterness. <laughs> no, no new feelings. All of that came from Adam. Adam supplied to you boxes, truckloads of all kinds of wicked desires, wicked uh, feelings, all kinds of things. All of it came from Adam. We were connected. Our core was not cut. We were doomed, right? We were doomed to a life, right? Look at Romans, Romans 5.12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, death spread through sin, death spread through sin. All men. Don't just, don't, don't just think death in terms of a cough. No. Death in every sense of the word. Bitterness is death. Lust is death. Idolatry is death, right? Anger is death. All these things are death. All the stuff, all the death of Adam came into us. We were connected. We were filled with the death of Adam. Our core was not cut. The Lord is trying to remind us. He's trying to remind you and I today. Do you remember? That was your beginning. That was where you started. That's where I started. Ephesians 2, 1 and 3. You were dead. You 
nur in einer anderen Welt gelebt. In the trespasses and sins, which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath just like the rest. This is where we, this is, this is our beginning. All of us, all of us, this is our resume. What is the Lord doing? What's the point of all this? He's trying to remind Israel. He's trying to remind us. You've forgotten. You've taken me for granted. You've forgotten what I've done for you. You forgot where, you, where I found you. you, were, you were, your, your origins, your beginning was hor- horrific. Amen? Have you forgotten? Have I, have I forgotten? Lord, I, you know, I've been saved for over 35 years. And I've got this ice cream. Like but you know what? I can remember. I just have to stop. I was so selfish. I was enslaved in all kinds of wicked passions. I, everything I did in my life, I did 100%. <laughs> That's one thing for sure. And I was no slouch. Somebody wanted to do two bags of Coke, I wanted to say, yes. <laughs> like, you know, it was just like, I just went out all out, right? And, and, and we remember. We remember. Amen? Romans 7, 24. Wretched man that I am, who will who'll cut this cord? Who will deliver me from this body? Who will cut this cord? Right? Verse 25. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. And so we, we, we ended last week with making an appeal, which we will make this appeal every week until the Lord returns, as long as the Lord keeps us. In light of what the Lord, right? In light of the fact that your cord was not cut, how should you live? Romans 12.1 I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, right, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Right? Because in other words, God, God, is, God, is, God, is, God is doing a work through his word. He's speaking in Ezekiel. Right? He's bringing the reality of their situation, but he's bringing also out a response from his people that says, you know what? Why are we in these abominable idolatry? Let's remember, let us come to our senses like the prodigal son. Let us come to our senses and let us really give our lives completely to Jesus Christ. Amen? We're going to continue today to consider this covenant relationship and particularly this method of God restoring us. God wants to restore our first love. Amen? God wants to, don't be satisfied with, with just living a, a mediocre, ordinary life in Christ. You know, just be ablaze with the glory of Jesus Christ. Let, let your lives be characterized by, by a desire for more of Jesus Christ. Amen? And so what, that's what we're asking. So how does the Lord begin to do this? He, be, he begins to remind us of the condition of our beginnings. And today we're going to look at this, this third thing. Thirdly, the Lord reminds his people that they were not washed with water. Go to Ezekiel 16, 4. 16, 4. And as for your birth, my people, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut. That's what he said. Now here's another one. Nor were you washed with water as you were The Lord is telling his people, I found you in the desert. And just like 
The Lord continues to use this metaphor, birth metaphor, to describe the origins of the people and how they got there. And what what was going on in their lives. Well, they were not wise. They were born uh, but knowing lots of things. And the bodily fluids of the mother. The word they wash the word they wash means to bathe. To bathe. They had nobody bathed. The baby, right? Uh, some of you have given birth, right? And um, the baby gets washed uh, with soap and water. It was common practice for, for many years, one or two hours after birth, uh, the baby would be washed. All of that, uh, all of those bodily fluid odors would be removed, right? Uh, so we wanted to, the whole point of, the, of this washing was to remove these undesirable fluids like blood and all kinds of things that are in the baby. Um, and also to provide hydration for the newborn skin to maintain skin integrity. The Lord says that the purpose of this washing was to cleanse them. To cleanse them. The word there, cleanse, means to purify. To remove impurity from the body. To remove the, to remove. Nobody was moved with impurity. Now the word cleanse is a tough word because uh, you did know that, that there are certain words in the Bible that only appear once in the Bible. So that makes it uh, a little bit more complicated to understand how this word is used. It's obvious why it makes it complicated. If the, if the, if the, if the, if the word is used only once in the Bible, then um, how should that word be used in that sense? You cannot cleanse from another scripture. It's going to kind of disrupt the whole idea of scripture interpreting the Bible. Uh, it's the, the, the so-called so basically, it's a and they make Bible study a little bit more difficult. Unfortunately, because you cannot go to another Bible study. Oh, look at this word in there. So, so when I find one like that, then I have to do my own research. I have to say, okay, I want to make sure it's the right one. What is it? Now, this one is a little easier because the concept I think is just a little easier. Um, so it, it appears that, 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 so when you have a word that appears like that in the Bible, what these scholars do, if it's known in many of the manuscripts in the Bible, what they do, they go to other sources. And they figure out, okay, how did, you know, Bob, you know, in the, in the 18th century, you know, whatever, who, who used this word? So they go to outside sources to figure out how this word is used. And you still have uh, good confidence that what, what, what they came up with was consistent. So, but in this context, I think, I think we, we can understand, it's clear that the word there means to purify, to take, to clean. All right? So, the Lord tells them, no one washed Israel with water to cleanse them. So, what does the Lord mean by that? What is the Lord telling Israel? For some of you that know your Bible, this is pretty obvious. I don't understand what that means. The Lord is reminding Israel, Some of you might say, yeah, well, unclean becomes a very important thing. It's all of Bible right? That's what he's trying to say. Right? Um, the, the point, 
the, the Bible introduces, the Joseph introduces two things that, that, that we're, we're supposed to distinguish, right? And, uh, first of all, right? First of all, um, the Bible tells us to distinguish between the holy and the common. Right? It would be the, the word, that word would be common. Um, so those are two, two, two you know, uh, pairs of contrasts that the Lord wants his people to distinguish, right? Uh, go to Leviticus 10, 10. You are to distinguish between the holy and the common. So there's a command from God to us, to you and to me. Particularly as, as his followers. Particularly to the Levites. But we are spiritual Levites. But in the context of the Old Testament, the, the Levites were particularly commanded by God. Look, do your duty by telling the Levites to distinguish between what is holy and what is common. Got to understand that. And that, that is still true today. We are, you should know what is holy. You should be able to distinguish. There would be instances, right, at, 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 at different festivals where you say, like, see two different animals. What is holy and what is common? You'll be able to hear what people say. What is holy and what is common? The Lord says that we ought to distinguish between what is holy and what is common. Well, let me just give you a little, because the Bible does say that we are to distinguish, right? The holy... Holy refers to all that is set apart from God, right? This is more of a broad perspective, broad definition. What, what does it mean to be holy? To be holy simply means to be set apart for God. I like the concept of holiness in my in my own life. For example, just so I know, James, right? For example, I like different chocolate at every time. I don't like to be wrong. If I have a box full of socks and I find a hammer in there, no, this is a box for socks. This box is dedicated for hammers. You know what I'm saying? So I'm very much, I learned this a long time ago, I think I like setting things, I don't like mixing. This is for that, and this is for that. Right? You know, sometimes, I, unfortunately, my life story can be so messy that I, 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 I don't have enough boxes. <laughs> I told like, we need more, we need more boxes, we need more, we need more, you know, and, and I throw everything into the box, right? So, so that's, that. but the idea, holiness just means to set apart for God, that this is set apart for certain uses, right? Uh, Genesis 2, 3, so God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. So God out of all the days of the week, right? He set apart Sabbath as a holy day. He set it apart. That honored God with it. So this idea of setting something apart for God. Now, what is common, right? So it says what is common is um refers to everything else. That's kind of like easy. What is common is that which is not To use crochet, that's not a good thing. That's only for crochet. It really is. Give other ideas of that you're dealing with sinful things. But what is common is not sinful. It's just not sinful. 
that they're placed set apart for God or something that's not set apart. Um, 1 Samuel 21, 4, And the priest answered David, I have no promise for you. There was bread that was set apart for God to use in the, in the sanctuary. In other words, that bread, you couldn't go to that bread and just make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Couldn't do that. That bread was only intended to be used as a sacrifice. But then you had other bread that you would go make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich with. Right? Common bread. Right? And so, and, one, and like I said earlier, one of the responsibilities of the priest is to keep the difference between the holy and the common. Ezekiel 44, 23, they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the common. Right? They shall teach my people. So the idea that every pastor um, should take this part seriously. I don't think I've taken that seriously for many years now. And I apologize for that. I try to, as much as possible, try to navigate and try to give you some things. And that's why I'm taking a little bit longer on this. Because God expects uh, this to be taught. It has to be taught. You can't figure it out by yourself apart from the scripture. You, you can, it, it has to be taught. Um, and and I, I believe this comes into play with elders and their spirit as they navigate the word of God through their lives. God gives them wisdom so they're able to understand and distinguish between what's holy and what's not. Now, so I just gave you a category. Right? So what is... Um, what, what is holy and what is common? Let me, let me, here's a simple answer. Because I know that what is set apart is a question that we have to ask ourselves. Well, what is it? Because we know what is, we, we don't have to figure out what is common. Why don't we have to figure out what is common? Because if we could figure out what is holy, then we could say everything that is not that is common. Right? So, so the question is, what is set apart? How can we, we don't want to deal only in the theory what is holy. We want to have a good practical handle on what is holy, what is really set apart. And let me give you a very simple definition. Okay? Simple definition. Because this is very simple. This is very simple. Uh, in, uh, when you study the holy for holiness, it, it just comes out very clearly. So here it is. All, everything that is related with the temple is You'll notice when you, when you study the Old Testament, there's nothing outside the temple that's really holy. It, 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 everything that is related to the temple is holy. So you, almost everything, so the grounds are holy. You know, Jerusalem is holy because of the temple. You understand? So it, 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 Jerusalem is not holy by itself. It's holy because, it, because the temple is there, right? So all that is related to the temple of God is holy. Simple. Be- very beautiful. And so what is the temple today? The church. Right? Jesus Christ and the bride. Everything that's related to the church is utterly It's very important that a lot of people don't. This is not about the church. The church is full of messy people, messy lives. That's not what makes the church. What makes it holy is God's presence in the midst of the mess, 
I'm talking about where there is an expression of the kingdom of God, where there's righteousness in the people, where God is protecting the law, the government of the people, that's in that, that all that takes place So in your in your engagement with any local church, like with this church, it's always your local church is a little bit more Someone say a, a nasty word. You couldn't say a nasty word to someone in your job. You won't get fired. Can you say a nasty word to someone in your church? Oh, you can't say that. That's very right. There is a there is a higher level of expectation in our behavior than our than the views of the church. So this is related to the temple of holiness. Let's read on Ezekiel forty three. Well. This is the law of the temple. The whole temple, top of the mountain, all of it shall be maintained. This is the law. So always, always remember that. So that's very simple. So then what is common? What is common? Everything that is not related to the temple, not set apart from the temple, not right, it's common. My grill. My grill is what? Holy or common? Common. My house, my molding, my cars. Common, common. Now, I could, I could do this. Lord, I set apart my house. I could do that. The Lord says, Hopefully our home is built with a secure foundation. So, so, so there, there's, there's areas where we can actually give to the Lord what is common, what, what is common. But the Lord doesn't force it. The Lord says, yeah, yeah, great. You know, you've offered him free will offers to the Lord, right? You say, hey, we offered this up to you, Lord. You know, but when it comes to the temple, that is there's a certain holiness that is required. Amen? Look at Ezekiel 48, just a, just a feeding. Ezekiel 48, 13, 15. And alongside the territory of the priests, the Levites shall have an allotment, 25,000 cubits in length, and 10,000 in breadth. And sitting in some territory surrounding the temple, okay, the whole length shall be 25,000 cubits, and the breadth 20,000 cubits. They shall not sell or exchange any of them. The whole idea of merchandising in the, in the house of God, very, very important. The merchandising is very But that's a side. They shall not alienate. They shall not alienate the choice portion of the land for it is a holy The remainder, right? The remainder, five thousand cubits of breast 
and 25,000 shall be for what kind of use? For the church. And common does not mean bad. Common does not mean evil. It just means God is allowing, God has given us common use for things for our purposes, devoted for us, for, for our well-being, right, all that. But then there are those things that are devoted to And above all things that are devoted to the Lord, which is the first thing? Is it your car? What's the first thing that the Lord is devoted to God? Is it your car? Your, what is it? <laughs> you are, right? You are holy. Right? You are holy. And look at look at First Corinthians 3.16 just to, just to kind of First Corinthians three sixteen. Do you not know that you are and that has spiritual implications, right? But you yourselves, according to God, you are God. Now that word there, you, is not singular, plural, but collectively, you are God's temple. And, and, and there are going to be concerns and implications of holiness with respect to my life. That I just can't you. I can't go any way I want. Because I am God's temple. You are God's temple, right? So, so th- there, there are things that will govern, that will govern the fact that I am, you are, we are God's temple. All right. But then that was not the only thing, the only thing the Lord commanded to make a distinction. Let's go to Leviticus 10.10. You are to distinguish not only between the holy and the common, Leviticus 10.10, but guess what? Between what? Now, th- this issue of uncleanness comes into play now because in Ezekiel, what did the Lord say? The Lord said, nor were you washed with water to cleanse you, right, to clean you. So now, now the Bible is bringing into view these themes of uncleanliness and cleanliness. And so we gotta, we gotta hang, we gotta make. So I just described to you what is the difference between holy and the common. We gotta make a distinction between unclean and the cleanly. Now, what the Lord is saying to Israel, hey, um, you were unclean. Now, to us, I don't think that makes a big impact on our lives. We're like, whatever. Right? I mean, we don't care. None of us is talking about that. <laughs> we're like, okay, sure. So this is where the whole, this is where the Holy Spirit in the Bible helps us to align our emotional world with the realities of God, because we're like dead. That's unfortunate. I hear that sometimes. Emotions are dead. If God doesn't quicken me, I'm emotionally dead. I like I don't care. How many are like that? Then we begin to see that clearly. Unclean. He says, Israel, you are unclean. I found you unclean. Now, to the Jewish person, I do believe this is sad, but I think the Jewish person would be like, yeah. Christians would be like, yeah, whatever. 
But I think a Jewish person would be like, Ichabod, don't say that. Why a Jewish person would be like that? Well, because their world, their world is possessed. <laughs> you ever spoke to a Jewish person? I don't, I don't know about you, but if you have any Jewish friends, talk to a Jewish guy. I mean, I'm talking about real Jews. I'm talking about these guys that just, their world is defined by what is true or untrue. They, they live in a world where they're like forced to make this distinction. The word unclean means to defile. Clean makes pure. How do, you know, what is, what is, what is, how does a person become unclean? How does a person become unclean? I'm going to go through these quickly. There were four basic ways. There were other ways, but there were four basic ways in the Old Testament. Now, all of these ways, all of these ways have their fulfillment in spiritual reality, not in the physical. Right? The physical were just simply types. You should know that by now. You don't interpret that what happened in the Old Testament literally because those are, those are types and shadows, according to Hebrew, of, of realities that are much more spiritual. Right? So, so when, we, when we read these, try to, and we're not going to go into any explanation of these pretty much, but that you could, you could at least have a, a, a physical, a natural description of something that made a, a Jewish person unclean, and now you want to bring that into a little bit, and we'll, 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 we'll expand on this more next week, but you could do this exercise as well. So there were four basic ways in the Old Testament that a person became unclean. The f- not in any particular order, so there's not one necessarily more than another, but one of the ways that a person became unclean was eating an unclean animal. So go to Deuteronomy 14, verses 3 and 8. So think about these things. You became unclean when you ate an unclean animal, which the Bible describes as an unclean animal. For you shall not eat any abomination. These are the animals you may eat. The ox, the sheep, the goat, the deer, the gazelle, the robot, the wild goat, the ibex, the antelope, the mountain sheep. Every animal that parts the feet and has teeth cloven in two and chews the cud. Among the animals you may eat. Yet of those that chew the cud or have their hoofs cloven, you shall not either eat of these. The camel, the hare, the rock badger, because they chew the cud, but do not part the hoof, are unclean for you. And the pig, there goes not the meat, right? And the pig, because it parts the hoof, it parts the hoof, but does not chew the cud, is unclean for you. The flesh you shall not eat, and the carcass you shall not. So in the Old Testament, the first thing that we begin to see is that God puts these um, these laws. And one of them is there's certain animals that were unclean, and when you partake of them, you became unclean. Good, right? Again, for those who are young in the faith, do not go home and throw away your panini. Don't, don't do that. Don't throw away your pig roast. Don't throw away your ham. You know, that, that, that was not the point. You know? The point is that uh, God is giving us a physical uh, illustration of, of a spiritual principle, right, which we're not going to get into. But, but there is, um, these laws were, were, were given to, to the Jews in order that God would, and these, were, these laws were, were real, and you became unclean and all that. So I'm not, I don't want to take away from the reality at that time. But when Christ came, he transformed all of this. And now we have a, these things still apply, but on a spiritual level. Does that make sense? So, 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 so we have to do the hard work of, of like understanding spiritually, but just understand, we don't have to go home and say, 
I've got a hat, I've got a hand, and I picked it out. Uh, it's okay. Second, diseases, certain diseases cause one to become unclean. The Lord spoke to Moses, Leviticus 13, 1 through, Leviticus 13, 1 through. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of the sons of the priest and the priest shall examine the diseased area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the diseased area has turned white and the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. So there were certain diseases like leprosy in the Old Testament that made you unclean. Thirdly, bodily discharges. The Lord spoke in Leviticus 15.1.3. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, Speak to the people of Israel, say to them, When any man has a discharge from his body, his discharge is unclean. And this is the law of his uncleanness or a discharge. Whether his body runs with his, dis- with his discharge or his body's blocked by his discharge, it is his uncleanness. Bodily discharges. Whenever um, the body gave all kinds of discharges, uh, you became unclean. Um, finally, touching a dead body. Um, Numbers 19.11. Whoever touches the dead body of any person shall be unclean to the Lord. So here we have, in the Old Testament, we have clearly um, something that God is giving us of how a person becomes unclean. So we've got these categories, right? Okay, I'm going to finish with this. What's the point? What, why, why, is, why is uncleanness, and we'll stop here, we'll continue next week. Why was uncleanness a bad thing? What's the big deal? Why, who, who cares if it's unclean? What's the point? Right? Because we have to ask the question, who cares that I've touched a dead body? All right, I'm unclean. You want me to turn around and take everything I own from you? What's the, what's the big deal, right? What's the big deal? Jesus. To be unclean meant that you were cut off from Jesus and his covenant. First of all, an unclean person that a big deal? A little bit? A little deal. Big deal. An unclean person was cut off from God. Look at, look at Psalm 24. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 7. Who shall ascend to the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? Who's going who's gonna to come in and have fellowship with God? Who's going to come in and enjoy God? Who's going to come in and really delight themselves in God? He who has, what, clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not wear it deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord, righteousness from the God of his salvation. So, so this uncleanness, the first thing, you were cut off from fellowship with God. You were cut off from entering into his presence, standing in his holy place. You could not do that. couldn't draw near to God. God is telling Israel, when you came into the world, you were cut off from me completely. I couldn't even have a relationship with you. You were so unclean. Nobody washed you. Right? God is saying, no, I'm leaving you alone. God is not going to mix with the unclean. 
their uncleanness made it impossible to have fellowship with God. And the same is true today. When we become unclean, right, in all kinds of ways, which we'll talk about next week, right, we lose that fellowship with God. We, we, we don't feel that. We feel distant from God. Well, yeah. Right? There are things that, that, that stain us. There are things that defile us. And guess what? You know, they affect our relationship with God. You don't feel that near to the Lord, right? You, 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 you basically, you've done your own thing, and you're not going to feel close. So we get, we get our uncleanness cuts us off from God. And Israel was like found in that condition. But not only that, you know it's interesting that the uncleanness in the Old Testament, there is more stress, I think the other one is implied, there is more stress in the second one. Not only does unclean cut you off from God, it cuts you off from God. And you know what? The stress in the Old Testament, if you're in a far world, I think it's in Ezra. You see every scripture about uncleanness. You know where the stress is in it? Is you'll be cut off from people. From the community God has for you. Uncleanness affects your relationships with others in ways that you have no idea. Look at Leviticus 7, 21. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, where the human uncleanness or an unclean beast or an unclean detestable creature and then eat some flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offering, that person shall be, what, cut off from his people. And you'll read that time and time again when uncleanness, primarily the accent in the scriptures, it's implied, yeah, that we, obviously our relationship with God is affected, but, but the accent the accent of the Old Testament is primarily on the fact that our relation with people, we are cut off from people. And then, an unclean person can, can never experience the sweet joy that comes from fellowship with other people. They are cut off from the community of God, from the covenant community. Their uncleanness prevents them from making a heart connection with others, right? You ever notice that? Why can't I have friends? Why can't I make a connection? Sometimes it's our uncleanness. Sometimes it's, it's a defilement that does not allow connection, real relational connection with people. It could be pride. Pride stains us, right? Arrogance doesn't allow us to enjoy people. So we come with all this stuff, and we have no connection. No wonder we have no friends, right? It cuts us off. Cuts us off from real fellowship with one another. Amen. You know, in the case of lepers, in the case of lepers, it was common for public pronouncement. Look at Leviticus thirteen forty-five. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes. That's identity, right? Identity, right? We talked about last week, right? A woman should not wear. A woman should not wear a man's clothing. That's not talking about, you know, I went to church, uh, pants. A woman can't wear pants. I'm like, no, that doesn't know what that means, you know. The scriptures anticipate anticipating the transgenderism. When women would take on the identity of man, and God said, it is not. They are what I made them. Same thing here. To not wear torn, your identity will be torn to shreds because of the uncleanness. And let the hair of his head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip. 
and cry out, unclean, unclean. Wow. You have to, hold, you have to let the, everybody know that you're filthy and unclean. Separated. Everybody, and the moment you say unclean, what do people do? Move fo- closer or move b- back? Come on. Uh, have you ever spoken to somebody and they tell you, um, I have, you, you think you heard them say, I have COVID? Yeah. <laughs> Has that ever happened to you? And I, I like, and I, I like to keep them back. <laughs> I have to keep them back, you know? You know, so, so I, do it, I do it with respect. You know? But, you know, but as soon as somebody tells you, right, you, you take a step back. Unclean. It destroys uncleanness, destroys our relationship with each other. So, yeah, uncleanness matters. Amen? It matters. So the Lord is reminding us that when we came into this world, not only was our cord not cut, but we too were unclean. You and I, before Christ came into our life, we were that way. Unclean! Unclean! Now you may not have been saying that with your mouth, but your actions, loud and clear. Unclean! Your attitude was what? People didn't like being with you because you were so impatient. <laughs> you were arrogant, right? You ever, you ever met people like that? Well, I can't talk to you. They're, they're so full of arrogance, right? Their uncleanness is just, just, just gets all over you, right? Unclean. So how can we understand our uncleanness when we came into this world? So let's pick up there. I want to leave it there because I want to explain more about the nature of our uncleanness. It's real. It's not hypothetical. It's not theological. It's real. There is real uncleanness. There is a real tangible way in which we express our uncleanness to others and to God. Let's pick that up next week. But the Lord is reminding us on the day you were born, not only was your cord not cut, you were not neither were you washed with water. Let's stand up. Do you remember? Do you remember your uncleanness before Christ came and cleansed you? Everyone, you come, we're going to sing a song. And